So that house in the back of that video there, uh, that house is in Ocala, and that's the house that I grew up in. And if you're not from Florida or don't know where Ocala is, it's in north central Florida, a few hours from here. Uh, And some people describe Ocala as a farming community or a horse community. Some might say it's the horse capital of the world. Now, my father is a CPA, and I'm about the furthest thing from a farmer there ever was, so I don't quite fit the DNA of Ocala. But my mother, she has a green thumb. She absolutely loves to garden. Uh, Nothing brings her more more joy than finding a plot of dirt and getting the tiller out, getting it all set, planting the seeds like we did today, and then waiting and waiting and waiting until finally the time for harvest or the time to pick comes along. And while I myself would not say I am a gardener by choice, I am an only child, and so my mother decided that I was going to be in the garden all the time with her growing up. There were many Saturdays and long weekends where I was uh, working in the garden with the sweat on my brow and my back was hurting at the end of the day. And if I can be completely honest with you, you probably figured this out by now, I hate working in the garden. (laughs) I would oftentimes be assigned everyone's favorite job of picking the weeds. I would pick and I would pick and I would pick. I'd remember being so annoyed with God that he even created weeds in the first place. I think there might have been times where I prayed out to God that he would just flood the earth again and get rid of all the weeds once and for all. But then I remembered the first time I was ever able to help with the harvest and dig up some of the potatoes that we had planted so many months before. It was this feeling of immense joy and satisfaction that I was able to see something through from beginning to end and be able to provide food for my family to eat that night. It was one of the moments I remember very on in my life where I just knew that God had to be real that from such a small seed could grow our own food, and that the soil could provide enough for us to eat. And while I haven't uh, been in the garden much the last many years, I have often found myself thinking back on that lesson of my times in the garden and the lessons I learned from hours and hours in the garden early in my life. And as Christians, I think we sometimes forget that God created gardens and that God is found in gardens all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the New Testament. And so our time together this morning, I want to share with us three stories about where we find God in the gardens. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Tom, myself, and Bronwyn Bedient were able to travel uh, out to Kansas City for, to, for a conference at one of our denomination's uh, largest churches. The best way I could describe it, it is, it is massive. It looks like a Star Wars fighter ship, their sanctuary does. I mean, it's like the Death Star. It's ginormous. It sits like 7,000 people in there, and the focal point, the part that just takes your breath away, is this stained glass window. Uh, This is from their church. Uh, It took several years to build. It's valued at about $3.1 million, 
and as a point of reference for you to kind of figure out how big this thing really is, in real life, uh, Jesus' head is five feet tall. So that gives you a glimpse. And so I love that we have the technology to project it because today we're going to walk our way through this story. You see, the resurrection window is what they call this, is called a triptych, uh, three parts to tell the biblical story and the major themes, the themes of creation, of sin, redemption, and restoration. The biblical story starts in the garden. Christianity's most important and redemptive story happens in a garden, and the Scripture ends, and you guessed it, another garden. And each of these three scenes and the stories across the stained glass talk about the life of Christ, the Old Testament, and the New, all the way until our current day. On the far right, you can see Martin Luther King Jr., and there are some that are even more, uh, have been alive since he was assassinated. So this window, it tells God's story, but it also tells our story. We get to see God working by creating, redeeming, and restoring the world back to the way it should be. So our first story comes from the book of Genesis in chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open to that. Otherwise, it'll be on the screens. Now, remember, in Genesis 1 is the first narrative. This is where we read that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. Uh, And the second narrative from Genesis 2 is the one where we hear that we were all created in God's image. And that's where we'll pick up now, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden to the east. And there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden Except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So our story begins in a garden where Adam and Eve represent humanity. They represent all of us and all of those who have come before us and all of those who will come after us. And that symbol of Adam and Eve of humanity is the pinnacle of God's good creation. Genesis says that when God created humans, he said they were very good. And Adam, maybe you don't know this, the word Adam means humankind, and the name Eve means living or life giver. So life giver of humankind. And we're familiar with how this story ends. Adam and Eve are created in the image of God, and then of course they eat the one fruit from the one tree that they were commanded not to do so, What we call the fall happens where sin enters the earth, and then Adam and Eve are banished from Eden, banished from paradise. And in disobeying this command, the story reminds us of our universal struggle against our sin, 
and all of our temptation. And this is a story that we then read over and over and over again in the Bible. I think it's something we experience in our own lives as well. So let's turn around and look. Well, I'll turn around. You all can keep looking this way. Uh, at the stained glass window. And we're going to start on the left side. And I've got it zoomed in on the screens as well. And for all of our kids that helped in worship today, what I would love to have you do is to do your best job to draw that. <laughs> this sermon's going to be about another 17 minutes or so. So you've got time. But I want you to try to draw your best version of a stained glass window, and I'd love to have that after the service is over. So this left side of the stained glass window is the story of the Hebrew Bible, or what we as Christians call the Old Testament. And we can see many of the key stories from the Old Testament. We see Noah and the ark and Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the first act of violence, the pyramids and the exile from Egypt, and many other stories from the Old Testament are there. They represent humanity's tendency to sin, the reality that that is who we are. The left side of this stained glass represents paradise lost and our universal struggle with sin, with suffering, and with death. And you'll notice on the tree, the bark on the tree on the far left side, it's darkened with age and its leaves are starting to wither. This story on the left side is an archetype. It's a pattern that tells us all about ourselves, a story that we all know too well of how we do things we know we shouldn't, and that disobedience often leads to pain, pain to ourselves, and then pain we cause to others because of our disobedience. Has there ever been a time in your life where you know there is something you absolutely should not do? and you do it anyway. I see a few heads nodding. We've got a few honest people in the room. But that's something we've all done. We've all done way too many times, times that more times than we'd like to admit. But that proves to us that we are human beings, that we are descendants of Adam and Eve, and we live in a broken and sinful world with temptation around every corner. You see, a way that I often think about the word sin and what sin looks like in my life is a disease of the blood. That while not, everyone might not be able to see your sin and what's inside of you, you can feel it. You know what's in there. And the only way to cure that sin is through the forgiveness of Jesus. There's nothing we can do. There's not enough work we can do to rid ourselves of that sin, but Jesus is the only one that has the cure. And to receive that cure, we give our lives to Christ. We admit that we are sinful people. We invite Him to be the Lord of our lives, and Jesus gives us a second chance again and again and again. So now that I've mentioned Jesus... Let's move on to the second garden in our story this morning. And it's the garden, it takes place just a little bit to the left of Jesus. And this story comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. And I'm just going to summarize this story because I think it's one we know. It's the section that's entitled, Jesus Agonizes in the Garden. 
You see, this was the scene right after the Last Supper on the night in which Jesus was to be betrayed. And Jesus knew what was coming because He was Jesus. And He went into the garden to pray, to beg God the Father and say, if there is any way to take this burden from me, to take this cup from me, is what the Scripture says, do it. And he would pray to God, he would beg to God, and time and time again, he would go back to his disciples who were with him, and he would find them what? He'd find them asleep. Not one time, not two times, but three times his disciples were asleep. Right after that, Judas, another one of his disciples, came with the guards and betrayed him, and Jesus' life was starting to come to an end. At this point, you might be thinking to yourself, it seems like every time there's a garden in Scripture, there also comes bad news. In Genesis, sin enters to the world, and Matthew, the Savior, is handed over to be crucified and killed. But there's more to the story. The story is not over. So let's look at the stained glass again, this time in the center. See, the garden in the middle of this uh, in this stained glass, represents for us the redemptive story. It represents the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, uh, he writes that Jesus was crucified in a garden. Jesus' body was then placed in a tomb in a garden. And then three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to Mary as a gardener. There's a common theme in John's story. And the theme in John's story from all of that is to show us that Jesus came to begin the restoration of paradise. Paradise being the Garden of Eden, the creation of the world when it was perfect and there was no sin or suffering or pain. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the course of history was changed forever. And I love how in our sanctuary you can see Jesus is a little bit to the left of the cross, and our cross is still there to remind us that that was the tree that Jesus died on for us. And you see Jesus' hands are stretched out like this. I envision and see Jesus, that's Jesus calling to us saying, come to me all you who are wearied and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. It says Jesus' arms are stretched out ready to hug us, to embrace us and to say, I forgive you. I love you. You are my child. That's our Savior. That's our Messiah. But then you could also think of it if Jesus' arms are outstretched like this, and at the end of our worship service today, you could hear Jesus saying to you, get out of here. There's work to be done. Go, go be my disciples. Go be my hands and feet in the world. This middle garden is the beginning of restoration. You remember a few minutes ago when I asked, what was the something in your life you did that you absolutely knew you shouldn't do? Jesus dying on the cross is what allows us to have that second chance, is what allows us to make something new out of our brokenness. You see, your life is not defined by your worst mistake. Your life is more than your biggest failure. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So we started in Genesis, where everything was perfect in the garden, and then sin entered into the world. 
And then we read that God sent Jesus into the world to begin that restorative work. He died on the cross for our sakes, and then he ascended into heaven, and we finally move to the right side of the stained glass, where Jesus sits at the right hand of God, and we await his return for the new heaven and the new earth. And to hear more about that, we read about our last garden. In the book of Revelation, the very last chapter, chapter 22, where it says this, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of the prophecy written in this book. Worship only God. Then He instructed me, Do not seal up the prophetic words of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were barred from access to the tree of life because of their sin. But in the new earth, the new garden, God's people will all eat from the tree of life because their sins have been removed by Jesus' actions in the second garden. Those who eat from the tree of life have no sin and will live eternally with God. So let's look at the stained glass one last time on the far right side. And this starts with the Pentecost, the birthday of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We could see that in the dove at the top. There's the apostles in the top right corner and then heroes of the faith to the right Uh, with all different stories, and it ends in the garden, the new heaven, the new earth, where the lion and the lamb lay together. You see, this vision cast in this window is what the future looks like, what we all hope for. And as Christians, we're called to participate in that work, God's redemptive work in the world. We're not simply meant to sit still and wait for Jesus to come back, and then He'll take care of it all. But rather, that's what it means to be a disciple, that we're to participate in this work like all these heroes of our faith have. We're to be champions for justice and advocates for those who cannot speak for themselves or defend for themselves. We're called to make our earth more like the kingdom of God right now, with no time to waste, no time to delay. The heroes on the right side of this stained glass made a profound impact on the world and on the Christian faith. And when I see Jesus with His arms outstretched, I see Him telling us, you can do it too. Get out there. Go make a difference. Be my disciples. 
When I think about that, I'm reminded of Philippians 4.13 where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have everything we need to make an impact on the world. And when we come together as this big team called Cypress Lake United Methodist, imagine the impact we're able to have together. I want to close by sharing a story with you about a new garden that's being built in, uh, and created in our town right now, uh, just three miles down, the, down Winkler here at Temple Bethel. A few months ago, our friends at Temple Bethel had a visit from the county in which they were told they had lots of invasive species of trees and all kinds of things, and they needed to get them removed. Well, $80,000 later, they got all of that stuff removed, and they thought it was done, and the county said, well, you need to plant some trees back from all the ones that you took down. The problem continued, but an angel came by the name of One Tree. Uh, One Tree is a local nonprofit and organization with a vision to plant as many trees as they can in Lee County. And they worked together and they planted 387 new trees at Temple Bethel. They thought the problem was done, but then they said, remember, I'm not a gardener, so this was news to me, that if all those trees are going to survive, there needs to be irrigation and landscaping and shrubbery to support this new ecosystem. And for several months, our church and a lot of other faith communities around our area have been wanting to have a service day together. And we thought, what a way to support God's creation and building bridges with one another and building relationships. Then there is not a better way than to go to Temple Bethel and help them with this project. And they're creating what they're calling the Temporal Preserve and Community Gardens. And so I want to invite you next Sunday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. to come to Temple Bethel and to be a part of this Interfaith Service Day. What is also so special and so meaningful about this day is it marks the one-year anniversary of the Tree of Life shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. And we're going to come together because we know sin is rampant in the world, and it is broken, and it is hurting, but we have the power of Christ that lives in us, and we serve a God that strives for unity and love and building bridges and trusting one another, and we're going to fight against so much of what the world stands for. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. But what we do need you to do is to sign up, because like good Methodists, of course, we're going to make it a dinner as well, and we need to know how much spaghetti to get. And this event is completely free. But what a way to witness to the love of God in our community by doing this together. And there will be, I need to make note that there will be plenty of activities for people of all ages and different physical abilities and limitations. Uh, I know everyone can't grab a shovel and plant a, a shrubbery, but we're going to have lots of opportunities for service and people of all ages to come together and participate. Uh, but if you're busy next Sunday or that's not something that gets you so excited, that's okay. We all get excited about different things, and I have a different challenge if that's you. Sometime this week, I want to invite you to go find a garden, whether you have one at your house or in your community, or maybe go to Lakes Park. I want to ask you to take your Bible, take an uplifting book, take a picnic if you like doing that, and sit in God's creation have a conversation with God. Go to God in prayer. Share your heart and just be present with God in the garden. 
I think you'll be amazed at the ways the Holy Spirit will move in your heart. Maybe that sounds totally absurd to you. Even a greater reason to go and try it. God works in mysterious, mysterious ways. So my friends, let's be a church that serves. Let's be a church that cares for God's beautiful creation. And let's be a church that cares for and loves one another. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, you are a God that is creating and has created. You are a Savior in Jesus Christ that has redeemed and continues to redeem us. And you are Holy Spirit that is with us and leading us. So God, as we think about the gardens in which we meet you in in our life, may we be filled up. May we be transformed by your power. And may we know that you love us and that we are to participate in the work of creating the new heaven right here on our earth. And all of God's people said...